Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Author Roundup, a special segment of the Book Connection Show, where we meet up-and-coming indie authors and talk to them about their recently released books. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Author Roundup. As always, I am your host, Emma, and we have an exciting guest today. Self-published author Christopher J. McMahon is here, so let me introduce you to him. Also referred to as Admiral McMahon, U.S. Maritime Service. His long and varied career includes sailing aboard more than 20 merchant ships in the 1970s and 1980s. Admiral McMahon is a master of steam, motor, and sailing vessels. Thank you. Happy to be here. So your book is a memoir called Into a Gale's Full Fury. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So really, the reason I wrote this book is that, first of all, there's very few people that understand what the Merch Marine is. Everyone thinks it's the military. And okay. yes, it does. it does have a role in supporting the military. Okay. But the Merchant Marine is how the world trades. So when you go into a Target or a Walmart, all that stuff has been on a ship, a container ship. That's the Merchant Marine. Tankers that carry oil and petroleum products, the Merchant Marine. Cruise ships, that's Merchant Marine. The offshore energy industry is the Merchant Marine. So the problem is few people understand what it is and even mm-hmm. fewer understand what life is like aboard a ship and certainly not aboard a ship in the 1970s and 80s which is what why i wanted to focus on that time frame which is when i went to sea it's a very unusual lifestyle and so the reason i wrote it is there really isn't anything quite like it out there there are books Mm -hmm. about particular incidents that happened at sea on commercial ships but there's nothing that really tells you about what life is like at sea and written by someone who actually experienced. There are a couple of books, one back in the in 1980-ish, one in 1990, that talked about one ship, and the person writing it was not a mariner, so mm-hmm. it, the books are okay, but they really don't tell the story. So that's why I wrote it, and that's what the book is about. It's about life at sea in the 1970s and 80s on commercial ships, and the unusual happenings that <laughs> that occurred there. And mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that the reader will will understand that and understand how important the Merch Marine is to all our lives, which most people don't right. understand. How long exactly were you out at sea? So voyages are going to depend on what the ship is doing. For example, there may be a container ship that is in the North Atlantic trade. So that ship is pretty much going to go between the U.S. East Coast and, say, North Europe uh, or the Mediterranean. And it's going to go back and forth, back and forth. There's other ships mm-hmm. that go from the Far East to the west coast and mm-hmm. then there's a, some ships and i was on one of these that actually went around the world and went to a lot of different places in north europe the mediterranean south asia asia and the west coast through the canal and back so the, the length of time depends on the voyage it also depends on how long a person wants to stay on the ship for example let's say a voyage is one month from the u.s east coast to north europe and back Well, rather than get off in a month, a person may say, well, I'm going to work for two months or three months. So they might make two voyages, three voyages or five voyages. Okay, so you have the option. You have an option because the the crew on a merchant ship is generally unionized. So I belong to a union when I went to sea. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the best analogy, because people do understand this, most Americans understand the airline industry. So we know that Airlines are privately owned. The crew on an airplane, they're not in the military. Most of them are pilots and flight attendants are belong to unions. The nature of the industry is such that the government regulates it. So the Federal Aviation Administration licenses the pilots. 
They inspect aircraft and they investigate accidents along with the National Transportation Safety Board. Merchant Marine is exactly the same thing. It's commercial mm -hmm. shipping companies. Some are privately owned. In other countries, some governments own the shipping companies the same way they own the airlines. The people on the ships are not in the military. They belong primarily belong to unions. Mm -hmm. And so you're under a union contract. And because of the nature of the industry, the majority of the world's merchant ships are not registered in the U.S. I mean, in fact, our mm -hmm. merchant marine is very tiny right now. Most ships are registered in places like Panama and Liberia mm -hmm. and the Marshall Islands and places like that. Now, why is that so? It's because it's cheaper. They get tax breaks. They, their labor rates are much lower. And there's a host of other reasons why they do that. So the reason that there aren't a lot of U.S. flagships now is for those reasons. When I went to sea, there were more. But even mm -hmm. still, not as many as there, there was in, in other, you know, in places like Liberia and Panama and stuff like that. What was it like in the 1970s and 1980s to be on these voyages? Well, the dates, first of all, ships then were smaller than they are okay. now. They yeah. were, the technology was just changing. So some companies were just beginning the whole, the whole era of containerization was just beginning before mm -hmm. that, when you loaded a ship, the ship had its own gear, its own booms, and it would pick up a pallet at a time of whatever, or a car at a time, or bags of, it'd pick up a pallet of, of uh, wheat or things like that. Right. That all changed with containerization. Stuff would be put into a container, and then a, con a shoreside container crane would load load the, the container. So years ago in say in the 1980s a large container ship might have carried about 800 containers um and and they're, they're known as 20 foot equivalent units because containers come in either 20 or 40 feet and so a typical ship around 1980 that was a container ship would have carried about uh 800 say containers well now they're carrying 24,000 containers they're huge that's so the insane. ships were smaller. The crews, when I went to sea, tended to be bigger. You might have had 45 people in the crew on a ship okay. that was 600 feet long. Today you have a, a ship that's 1,100 feet long and that is a crew of about 20 or 22. Oh, interesting. So the crews are smaller. Why is that? Because think much things are much more automated. So right. when I started going to sea, and certainly my first job as a second mate, the second officer, there's a third officer, second officer, first officer, captain. And then, of course, the engineer, there's third engineer, second engineer, uh, first engineer, chief engineer. The second mate was the navigation officer. And when I started going to sea, the only way you got a ship across the ocean was with a sextant. And you use charts and you use mm -hmm. pilot charts and you light, use lighthouses and buoys and things like that. Well, nobody does that anymore. It's all GPS. <laughs> yeah. So, um, while merchant mariners still have to know how to use the sextant, they really don't. The ships are fully, really oh, wow. pretty much fully automated now. Just the same way you put your phone, you yeah. plug your directions in on a phone, well, you do the yeah. same thing on a ship now. That wasn't the way when oh, I started wow. going to sea. And when was the last time you were at sea for this job in particular? <laughs> probably on the commercial ship was probably 1992, but most oh. of the ships 
because at the time I was teaching part-time at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. So I would spend six months at sea and then I'd go to, to teach for six months and I go back to sea and it was sort of back and forth. And I went to graduate school in between there and all that kind of stuff. So I wrote about the 1970s and 80s because that's when I went to sea. I would say going to sea is probably still a little bit colorful, but not the way it used to be because the rules and regulations have changed. There's alcohol and drug testing. We didn't have that back then. Um, The maritime unions have done an absolutely terrific job in continuing education and training seafarers and mariners, as have all the the maritime colleges in the United States, which there are several. Maine has one, which is and these are these are state schools, part of the state university systems. These are four year colleges, but they they are maritime oriented. Maine has one. Massachusetts, New York has one. Texas has one. California has one. And then there's the federal one where I went to school, which is the United okay. States Marine yeah. Academy, which is like Annapolis, West Point, Air Force, Coast Guard, things like that. What was it like being at sea for six months at a time? Yeah, you did? I t- typically went five to seven months. Yeah. How do they prepare you for that for six months at a time? Years ago, because ships would load with one pallet at a time, they tended to stay in port a long time. You were typically in port sometimes a week. You know, at least several days, at least a few days. Now, container ships are so fully automated, they're in port four hours and gone, mm-hmm. if that. And yeah. years ago, ships would pull into the city. I mean, if you look at, say, New York City, it had a whole waterfront in Manhattan. No ships go into there. There's some cruise ships, but cargo ships all go into Port Elizabeth in New Jersey, far away from anything. So you pretty much nowadays, you don't get off the ships. When I went to sea, you did. You had time. Um, oh, okay. I got jobs for yeah. the Union Hall. Eventually, I had a permanent job, but it, initially, I'd get jobs for the Union Hall. You pack your gear, you get on the ship, and you know you have a license to serve as a third mate, a second mate, a chief mate, a captain, or yeah. an engineer all the way up. There's no getting used to it. You just have to, you have to start your job as soon as you get on the ship. What's the title of your book, and what does the title mean? So the title of the book is Into a Gale's Full Fury, and the sort of the subtitle is uh, Stories and Reflections on Many Years Sailing in U.S. Merchant Marine in, in the 1970s and 1980s. I used Into a Gale's Full Fury because it's sort of a metaphor for how wild and crazy it was to go to sea, on not on every ship, but on a lot of ships. And so yeah. I used, and actually, a, the worst weather at sea is not a gale. A gale is pretty mild compared to say a, a storm or a hurricane but i use but people understand when it's the word gale it sounds yeah. like you're going into something with no i like it yeah so so it's a metaphor for sort of the craziness on the on the ships that i described right. and i i you know i sailed on more than 20 ships and you know i i'm describing only a handful or maybe more maybe a few more than that but yeah. it's not all not all 20 ships were as crazy as the ones I described in the book. How long did it take you to complete your your book? Had you written before? I have written not a book before, but because I was a professor a lot of my life at different places at the United States Marine Academy and also at the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. I have written a lot in peer-reviewed journals and things like that. So I'm I'm familiar with writing. Right. This was the first book. I'm actually working on another book, which I'm about a third the way through. Oh, nice. What's that one about? <laughs> it's very different. It's, it's, it? it's, I would say it's from my other hat. It's probably going to be called An Angel Among Us. And Ooh. it's about, it describes, it, it 
it is an interesting and fun book in terms of fiction, but it will take the re yeah. reader through the world's religions because I'm also an ordained minister. Oh, I took nice. a, I took a time out in life, went to seminary in Berkeley, and so oh, and wow. I've worked part. I have worked part time as a minister for twenty years. So, oh wow, that's amazing! And I teach world religions now at Nichols College in Massachusetts. So, so you teach that, and then you said you were a professor at the academy as well at the United States Merchant Marine Academy, and there I taught anything to do with nautical science, ship handling, seamanship, weather. Uh, marine electronics, uh, all that kind of stuff. And then at the Naval War College, I was sort of the maritime person teaching, the because na the Navy can't move itself, the military can't. So when there's a, the U.S. Mm -hmm. moves troops and supplies around the world, they charter the airline industry to move troops, and they charter commercial ships to move supplies because they don't have enough of their own. So I was mm -hmm. kind of the, the maritime guru there to deal with that. But then I also taught other things like joint military operations, which is something I really had to learn a lot about because it's not truly in my background. And now I'm teaching leadership and then also world religions at, at Nichols College in Massachusetts. So, and But there's many other things I've done in my life too. Oh my gosh. Going back to writing, how was your writing experience like? Well, it was fun. And, yeah. you know, I had one person that I know who said, how do you remember all that stuff? Um, <laughs> Well, I did keep what I would call logs, but journals on many of the ships. And so I, I could refer oh back to them. But then again, I had a pretty good memory for some of these stories, particularly the unusual ones. Oh, um, wow. So, something you can't forget? Are those in the yeah, book? Something, something you don't forget. Some of these things you just don't forget. Can you give us a hint? No. <laughs> Mean of the things I, I didn't forget? Yeah. Well... As I tell people, and I kind of warn people in the beginning of the book, in the preface, the, mm -hmm. the book is what I would call very salty. Um, I think I mm -hmm. called it crude in the book. It is in many okay. places because that's the way people talked and, mm -hmm. and the way, you know, life at sea was and probably in some ways still is a bit, bit rough around the edges. So, yeah. But as I mentioned before, there was no drug and alcohol testing and there was a lot of people that were alcoholics and it's the nature yeah. was the nature of going to sea it was for centuries and so there's a lot of very interesting salty stories so the book sort of has it does describe the ships that i sailed on from a because i wanted for history's sake to so people could right. say hey this is what this is what the ship was like this is mm -hmm. this was a layout this is what it did these were the this is what the jobs of different people were so that's in there and then mm -hmm. I describe places I visited and in incidents that happened ashore. For example, there is a story where I was arrested for espionage in Somalia. That's in the book, and oh, held and held hostage on one ship in oh my gosh. Uh, in Conakry, Guinea, and, and attacked by pirates. And that's in several places in the book. Um, oh my gosh! So, so there's that stuff is in there, in addition to stories about the ships. And then, of course, there's stories about some of the unusual crew and captains I sailed with and and things that happened in violent storms and the ship on a ship cracking in almost in half in the North Atlantic and you know all that's in there too. The book is not a boring book. I think anybody who likes like it well. <laughs> no. Anyone that wants to be kind yeah. of see a different world that they don't know, it's a good book for that. It's you know, oh, there's yeah. a lot of adventures in the book. 
uh, if you like adventure stories, this is a good book for that. If you like history, nautical, anyone liking nautical anything will like this book, I think. And um, it would be an amazing movie. Yeah, well, it would be a complicated movie. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a I think the book I'm working on now would make a great movie, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, that's really awesome that you kept a log, like you said, or a journal. Did you have a difficult part of your writing experience or your writing process? It was easy to write the book. I mean, obviously, yeah. it was time consuming. And sometimes How long did it take I think overall, probably about a year and a half. Okay. You know, I live on a horse farm in Connecticut, and my wife is the equestrian, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not, but I'm the handyman. So I have a, I am retired now from, from at least part, partly retired, but. <laughs> so I have a lot to do around the farm, but I also have a you're place. Very like, busy. Uh, you're teaching. Yeah. You're a minister. I mean, I'm surprised right. that it took. I mean, that long to to finish it. A year and a half is pretty good with everything. Well, yeah, and I didn't write it here at the farm because whenever I'm here, <laughs> I can't really write. I I go. We okay. have a place on Cape Cod, and I go down where it's it's nice Cape on Cape Cod. Cod. I do too, and that's where I have peace and quiet, and I kind of walk along the beach and think about what I'm going to write, and that's what I still mm-hmm. do. I'm writing my second book down there, so oh, it was great. pretty much all written on Cape Cod. So your book was released in August of this year. Have you received any comments, feedbacks, reviews about your book? Just from the several copies I passed out to to yeah. colleagues, there is, I mean, some of the people I sent it to have gone to see themselves, so they relate to it and they said you know i captured i captured the way the real world of going to see and back in those days and i have to emphasize that it's very different now Mm -hmm. it's not that's why i make make it very clear at the beginning of the book that life at sea now is in many ways is very very different Mm -hmm. than it was then that's again that's one of the reasons i wrote the book because nobody really there's nothing out there to describe those you know what it was like back then but the other comments are from people that haven't been to see is, I mean, the way the book is described on the back, it's shocking to some people. Um, it's shocking to me, yeah. <laughs> they can't believe it. You know, some of the, the stories are pretty amazing uh, to people, and, and they are. I mean, it's a different mm-hmm. it's a different world. Would your book be used in the Academy? It would be a good resource for, for I think so. Right? I, mean, yeah. I mean, in our politically correct world, I don't think some some people would want to use it because it's a little uh, rough around the edges. But but yeah, I mean, it does, again, from a history standpoint, it does, right. I think it does a reasonable job describing the way it used to be. So right. yeah, I mean, I, why not? I just sent a copy yeah. off to the library at the United States Marine Academy. So hopefully. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Hopefully they'll, uh, they'll take a look. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone that would like to write their memoir or write their first book and who's itching to become an author? First of all, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I should write a book. I don't think it's that easy to, to write a memoir type book unless you have a passion for what you mm-hmm. want to write about. Uh, in order to write, particularly, I think, a first book, you really have to have a passion for the subject area. It's complicated. You know, writing a first book, you have to get it organized and you have to, then you have to often rewrite various sections that didn't you forgot something you wanted to add something or you didn't you don't think it said the right thing but i think passion and perseverance are really the two the two things that you need to write a first book if you don't have that you're not you're not going to write the book again many people say well i should write a book about that but it's not something that really they really i mean in my case 
this is something that I'm passionate about because I've been doing it my whole life. I mean, in one yeah. fashion or another, I mean, the, the ocean is, it's in my blood. I mean, uh, right. so yeah. Right. So you have to have that same kind of passion for whatever you're writing about. I think it's hard to force passion for something if yeah if you're not you excited about it then no one else is going to be excited about right. it yeah exactly that's yeah. a good point if your book is going to be interesting there must be a certain amount of passion in there yeah um, if, if, if it's a memoir because otherwise it's not going to come off very well yeah and you don't want writing to become a chore and i i don't think it was probably right. like that for you right it's like oh i don't want to like do this today you and can't. it's like oh it's you know, it can't, it cannot be a chore. And so the book yeah. I'm writing now, which is fiction, which has, and there's a reason I'm writing my present book is fiction because okay. yes, I'm a minister, but I, being an academic also, I know what it's like in the academic world. If you write something that's nonfiction, all this criticism comes out and I didn't really want to deal with any of that. So yes, mm -hmm. in the book is embedded world religions, but if somebody wants to disagree with something, I'm going to, I can just tell them, look, it's the book is fiction. If you don't want to believe it, right. you don't have to. Yeah. But, but you have, again, I have a passion about writing this book again, because I'm a very ultra liberal minister that believes in all the world's religions have truth in them. And mm -hmm. that's why the purpose of writing this book. And I, that's what I want to convey to people in a fun way. So right. I, I don't want people to get bored reading the book. Again, that's true of any book. Fiction is different than a memoir, very different. Mm -hmm. But right. again, you have to really want to read it and you have to go back because the story is probably going to change. And it's a different kind of writing than, than nonfiction. I was, yeah, I was going to say, it w how is it like writing um, this fiction book compared to Into a Gale's Full Fury? Well, it's very different. Um you know, in both cases, I'm telling a story, but in the case of the my memoir slash nonfiction, I'm relaying what actually happened, and mm -hmm. which I believe, and and that's why I didn't include all the shifts I was on. I just include the ones that are a little more colorful. Yeah. So, because I included all of them, you know, some of it would some of it would be like, well, this is boring. I mean, so I included all the all the colorful ones in a fiction book. The whole thing has to be interesting. If I were describing, because I teach world religions and I've been studying them my whole life, I know a lot about mm -hmm. them. If I was just sitting there writing a book about world religions, it would get pretty laborious to read because not a lot of people are all that interested in it. So this is kind of a light approach. Purpose of writing it this way is to make it interesting for people. So right. it, again, very different kind of writing. How did you get into this line of work? That is that also described in the book. I was born in Germany. Oh, wow in the 1950s and my father was working over there and when we came back to the united states in those days you could come on an airplane but most people went on a ship so we came back mm -hmm. on the passenger ship united states and i was very i fell in love with it and you know i was not quite four years old and then it was oh wow and then that's all i wanted to do was was be near the water and my grandmother lived on long island sound and i would spend summers there and then my uncle who i'm was very close to was a sea captain with oh, a company wow. called Farallines. So my aunt would take me down to visit his ship whenever he was in, came back from Africa. And, you know, I fell in love with his ship. And he, and so he helped me get a job when I was 17, going to sea on a, on a cargo ship to 
Central America, the South Pacific, and Australia, New Zealand. And I came back and I fell in love with it. And so all I wanted to do was go to sea. And I was lucky enough to get nominated by Senator Mathias to the United States Marine Academy. And I was able to be accepted oh there. And so it's been embedded in my, it's all, it's been That's in my, my whole life. That's it's so my cool. whole life is, is around it. So uh, 1992 yeah. is my last ship. Okay. But, you know, I've been on a few ships since then, but not mm -hmm. as not working on them. I've been on, okay. a, went to Antarctica on one and a few others like that. And I lived on my sailboat for 10 years. So when was that? That was 1994 to sold my boat in 2007. And but my wife didn't want to live on a sailboat. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you are married. I was like, how did that tie I, in? I am. Well, uh, I didn't meet my wife till I was in my forties. I, I I didn't. I was. She's my my one and only wife. So, but oh. you know, I was wandering around the world and searching for truth and meaning, and so I didn't get married till I was in my forties. But, but I love living on my sailboat. I kept it at the at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, but it was my home. Mm -hmm. that, that's where I live. So I have all of that. And you know, some people say they they're so glad they sold their boat. I I miss it terribly. Yeah. But, uh -huh. But, you know, as I always tell people, life is about chapters and you got to move mm -hmm. from one chapter to the next and you can't really look back. So I've, I've had a great life. It's been very complicated. When I was getting shot at in Iraq, I never thought I'd ever be in Iraq rebuilding a transportation system. You have a very, very colorful and interesting life. I'm so intrigued by your life. <laughs> It, it, it's not been boring. I've been blessed to have a lot of opportunities. I've tried to take advantage of them along the way. For this year, do you have any professional or personal goals? Well, I've certainly taken care of my farm. Yeah. I'm teaching, as I said, at Dickel's College, Leadership Now, and then in the Spring World Religions. I'm working on my other book, and I'm also working, uh, hoping to get a new part-time job as a Unitarian Universalist minister. So just maybe two Sundays a month. I also have a little bit of uh, consulting work that I do. Is there anything else you'd like to say today to our audience? To those of you that want to write a book, just remember mm -hmm. passion and perseverance are the keys. You know, we live in a world where there's a lot of books out there. I must say that I'm not a very materialistic person, but I have to be very careful when I go into bookstores. <laughs> it is my one weakness. I want to read everything yeah. in the store. Sorry. And the other thing is, I'm always humbled when I go into a bookstore and into a library. It reminds me how little I know, how, how much mm -hmm. there is to know. And and I've been going to school in different ways my whole life. I have a bunch of graduate schools I went to. And, you know, it's everything from business to, to divinity and psychiatric counseling. Those are all degrees I have. There is so much more to learn. You know, I have a lot of hobbies, too. Astronomy is one of my passions. I have a telescope, and I do I use my telescope as much as I can. I guess my advice to people is be passionate about your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Some people say that they're bored and they're, they're unhappy. Well, get out and do something. Find your passion, because everyone has a piece of passion in them. Everybody's got a piece of art inside of them, whether that's drawing mm -hmm. or music or writing or mm -hmm. cooking or gardening, there's there's a piece of art in every human being. And if you learn to access that, it will bring you happiness. Yeah. Well, I think that's all the time we have today. You can find Intuo Gale's Fuel Fury at archwaypublishing.com in the online bookstore. You can find it on Amazon and also Barnes and Nobles. Admiral, it was lovely speaking with you and talking to you about your book and, and hearing about your incredible story. Thank you, Emma. I appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for watching. And I will see you next time. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening. Before we go, show some love by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
stay tuned for our next interview on the book connection show where we meet extraordinary indie voices with incredible stories 